HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. Since 2009, HRN podcasts have been exploring the wide world of food, beverage, and agriculture. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Samuel Adams, Brewing the American Dream. Hear stories from their inspiring entrepreneurs on Let's Talk About Food, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Welcome to Spill and Dish, a new podcast from the Specialty Food Association. Founded in 1952, SFA is a leading trade association and source of information about the $175 billion specialty food industry. We champion the food producers, retailers, and other buyers who make up the specialty food world. If you want to know more about membership, visit specialtyfood.com. In each episode, we want to share the stories behind the products made and sold by our members who are helping to shape the future of food. You can listen and discover the inspiration, recipe, craft, culture, ingredients, and production methods that help answer the question, what makes specialty food special? I'm today's host, George Hajar, Associate Editor at SFA. We're excited to bring you today's episode and so happy to be working with Heritage Radio Network, a nonprofit podcast network covering the world of food, drink, and agriculture, and expanding the way eaters think about food. Today's guest is Emilio Mignucci, owner and senior vice president of Di Bruno Brothers, a Philadelphia-based Italian specialty food gourmet retailer featuring items made in-house as well as high-quality sourced products. Started in 1939 by Danny and Joe, the two Di Bruno Brothers, they opened their first location on 9th Street in Philadelphia. Their products span many categories, including olive oils and vinegars, cheeses, cured meats, pastas and sauces, and more. Emilio is also on the board of directors for both the Italian Market Business Association and the Specialty Food Association. Welcome, Emilio. Thank you for taking the time to speak with me. Thank you for having me. Mm -hmm. So let's dive right into it. So how did you get involved in specialty food? So um, in South Philadelphia, in the Italian market neighborhood, you almost don't have a choice. The food business is what's going on down there. And it was what my grandparents were doing. Back then, we didn't look at it as specialty food. We looked at it as just really great food. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, I see that you were working in a, you, you're a part of a family company. Um, 
How does it? How has it been um, working at this family business? And I saw that you had yeah that culinary background. Um, how do you feel it helped you in that position? Well, you know, my grandparents uh, started this business in '39, and my brother, cousin, and I—the um, three of us—would you know be at the store all the time as young young kids, and mm-hmm. we went to school in the neighborhood. Yeah. Um, so we always went back to the store and had lunch and hung out with our grandparents <laughs> and helped them in the store here and there. Um, but when we went off to choose college my brother and my cousin went uh for business Mm -hmm. and i just had this bug for food so i went to culinary school Mm -hmm. um you know wanted to be a chef a cook uh you know and and because i loved it and Mm -hmm. i loved to eat and uh so, you know, after culinary school, I landed a job working in a local restaurant, a fine mm-hmm. dining restaurant that was just opened up. Uh, you know, it's uh, called Delulu Centro, which was at the time a very pioneering Italian restaurant that was doing really great stuff. And so I worked there for four years before my grandparents were ready to retire, announce their retirement, and, and they were going to sell their business. And my cousin, Bill, came to me um, and said, we should do something. We can't let you know, grandma and grandpa just sell the business. Yeah. And uh, then we wrote my brother into it and the three <laughs> of us got together and uh, called a big family meeting and decided to uh, tell our grandparents that we were interested in um, making their legacy, making this their legacy and letting it live on for mo- for longer because we just were so grateful for what our grandparents had done in a way that um, they had come over as immigrants mm-hmm. with nothing more than a, you know, third grade education and mm-hmm. then, you know, learning to opening up a business and learning to service, you know, the local community. And, mm-hmm. and for us, it was important that their hard work continue to be recognized. And yeah. I guess that's, that's how we finally stepped into the family business. And, and, you know, then we grew the business to what it is today. I mean, seven retail stores, mm-hmm. we import and distribute, we manufacture, mm-hmm. you know, catering and events and, a, and an e-commerce business. So, um, we have a lot of verticals to what we do. Yeah, yeah. And it seems that um, it's only been expanding. I mean, you've got your seventh store uh, recently. And uh, can you tell me a little bit about the the products that you make and package and source and everything? <laughs> yeah, you know, it's interesting because when we started with the one little store, mm-hmm. um, you know, we were predominantly a cheese shop and charcuterie store. And, you know, we, we started delving into making sandwiches and doing, you know, catering trays mm-hmm. for folks and... Uh, you know, then we started taking trips to New York and we gained a lot of inspiration from visiting the Dean and DeLucas and the Balducci's at that time in the, in the nineties, early nineties. And that inspiration drove us to want to delve into prepared foods. And so we hired a chef, mm-hmm. uh, and, uh, you know, a kitchen crew and started making prepared foods. And that's when we decided to open a second location, mm-hmm. um, to service the community, uh, with, uh, cooked foods that came from the ingredients that we sold in the store. We just thought it was a natural progression of what we did. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that was uh, that was uh, fun. And um, we realized that it, that it was early on in that style of business to be happening, you know, like prepared foods was in the 90s was just kind of kicking off in specialty stores and mm-hmm. – um, you know, we knew that we had really great people working at the Bruno Brothers and great people that needed more opportunity. And that afforded us the reasons to go out and look for other opportunities within the business to help 
those who were really valuable to the Bruno brothers to be able to create a life yeah, working yeah. within a company. And we knew that our grandparents would be most proud of, because we asked ourselves, what would Danny and Joe do? Mm -hmm. We knew that they would be most proud of the fact that this company was allowing people to grow up in the company, um, go to school, buy a house, raise a family, you know, get married, mm -hmm. be part of a community. That's really what Danny and Joe was about. And that's what the business is there for. And the folks that help make it great or help to identify areas of growth for the business are the ones that, um, you know, help to make the Bruno's what it is today. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a, yeah, that it's like enabling people to succeed. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's really, that's really interesting. And I, I feel like I see that strong message. Um, I looked at uh, some pictures of the sixth location in, uh, in Wayne, and I saw that there was sort of the story along the walls. Um, and it sort of is more styled towards like the, like an old time experience. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. I mean, we do believe it's really important never to forget where you come from. Mm -hmm. You know, when you come to work at the Bruner Brothers, you, you, the only connection to my grandparents and who they were and how they were is really uh, those photos and us being in the stores as owner operators, walking the stores, getting behind the counters, working side by side with a lot of the associates and, and telling the stories mm -hmm. of my grandparents and what they did and how they did things and, you know, um, making people understand who they were so they can really get the culture of who we are mm -hmm. and where we come from. I think that's important. And that's why those, those photos and some of the things that we still do today that, you know, help us to stay connected to the past, but while adding innovation and technology to help to advance the organization. I always thought it really, really interesting when we took over the family business and 1990, uh, you know, my aunts stayed on board mm -hmm. and we had a couple of young guys who worked for us, so 15, 16 year old, um, um, guys working for us. And then my aunts and uncles who were still there that were in their seventies and eighties and the communication between young and old and back and forth and the disagreements and then the growth process that we saw for all of us, you know, even my aunts and uncles, like really getting, you know, what we at our age, you know, we're talking about as well as the younger generation who is just working there. And, and I think that was always important and helped us to be as innovative mm -hmm. and as forward thinking mm -hmm. while still holding on to the past and understanding, you know, values of who and what we are. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, talking a little bit about that technology, I, I remember um, I was looking at the website and it, I saw something that said in the mid to late nineties is when you started doing an online service, um, like started doing like an online retailer. Yeah. Um, so that must've been pretty interesting, uh, working with the older generation uh, of, sure uh, to bring them into the 20th and then 21st century. <laughs> it, it was, it was so funny when we think about it. So w w what drove us into an e-commerce, uh, business was that a lot of people, uh, that knew my grandparents and would shop the store as they had gotten older, decided that they were going to move. Most mm -hmm. of the people moved to Florida. Mm -hmm. And so they would ask us to ship them product um, while they were down there. And, you know, my aunts and uncles didn't understand that 
process of, you know, first of all, it used to be a cash only business. We yeah. make it a business that accepts credit cards and they never, they were like, who uses credit cards? Like why that doesn't make sense. And, and I remember these conversations and then we go into shipping product to people and taking a credit card over the phone to pay for the product. And then they were always dubious of that saying, how do you know you're going to get paid? What if they dispute the charges? And I'm like, well, that's why they have insurance for credit cards, mm-hmm. and, you know, mm-hmm. and it just was a learning experience and fun. And, you know, just really, really interesting you know, the dynamics of the older generation and the younger generation coming together to, um, you know, really uh, figure it out, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. And um, since becoming that that owner, um, how has been like steering the wheel of the company and expanding? Because I've noticed you've op- opened quite a few more stores since you, you joined. Yeah. Um, so when we, when we took over, it was one location. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as we grew and as we had, you know, I mean, unlike today where we don't have enough personnel, we're always looking for help like mm-hmm. everybody else is. But, you know, back then we had great people and we were teaching them, you know, uh, about how to handle cheese. And, and there wasn't a school for retail. And we were learning as we went, but we were educating and teaching people how to do what we were doing. And those folks you know, we realized could go and work anywhere else. But if we gave them opportunity here within the Bruno Brothers, it helped us to then grow into other stores and mm-hmm. open up new locations. And uh, so the the want to help people grow within the company, give them the, um, the range to be able to make suggestions and you know, you know, I think it's important to let people make mistakes and learn from them. Um, was really what helped us get to where we are today. And we're still, like, we consider ourselves a very entrepreneurial business. My, my cousin and partner, Bill, um, he and I are the same age. He's the president of the company. I'm the vice president along with my brother is vice president. My brother oversees finance. My cousin is kind of the big ideas guy, visionary, th- always thinking about why, you know, why can't we do it? Like, mm-hmm. why not us? And, mm-hmm. you know, stuff like that. And then I, you know, I'm the guy that does uh, a lot of the education and training and, and store level stuff, getting our teams up to speed to be able to be subject matter experts for the customers that come through, um, you know, with an operations team that then helps us be able to grow it, systematize, organize, and and help make others successful within the organization. Mm-hmm. And does that is that where the uh, the culinary pioneering title comes in? Honestly, when we first sat down and we're talking about um, who we are mm-hmm. with some friends who were into branding, we just kept coming back to Danny and Joe and mm-hmm. my grandfather and uncle and how they were really the pioneers. They they came over, like I said, nothing more than a third grade education and didn't really know how to retail, mm-hmm. um, landed in South Philadelphia and went to work for a family named Los Angeles to learn retail and then took what they learned and saved their money and bought a little store, 300 square foot store and started selling, you know, uh, some of the stuff that they missed from the old country. And, and to us, they were the pioneers and, you know, our job and task is just to keep it alive. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, being able to forge new ground, um, back then for two guys who were just immigrants was, uh, 
we consider that pioneering, which mm-hmm. is why we, you know, tagged that line. It's really yeah. an homage to my grandparents. Yeah, that's really nice. And you were talking a lot bef- uh, a little bit earlier about the education that you you did uh, and that you worked on and that you're constantly a part of. Uh, do you feel that you can share some of that education? Uh, for example, what did you not know that you wish you had known? <laughs> when we didn't started? know anything. Yeah. We'll start with that. We knew zero. <laughs> we were making mistakes left and right. And mm-hmm. that's really how you learn. I'll tell you, you know, a quick story. My, uh, <laughs> we take over the business in early 1990-ish. And um, I remember me and my cousin looking at invoices for cheese, Pecorino Romano that we were selling. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my grandparents had gotten old and been selling the cheese for so long um, that in their later years, they didn't really look at pricing. They just sold it for whatever they sold it for for years. And we looked and we said, Pecorino Romano, wow, um, it's three forty nine a pound. We're selling it for three forty nine a pound, but we're paying three fifty nine a pound. Like mm-hmm. we can't afford to make ten cents a pound. Yeah. So we talk about learning experience. We decided to go from three forty nine to three sixty nine. So at least we'd make ten cents over the cost. Mm-hmm. And uh, when we did that, we raised the price to like twenty cents and customers were coming in irate like you're trying to get rich overnight your grandparents would be so disappointed in you Mm -hmm. and we right away like we kind of panicked about that and we and so a lot of the older generation like if you know the neighborhood back then there was a lot of old school italians and italians had been there for a long time they would come in the store and just I mean, holler at us. And so we would have to show them the invoice and say, look, <laughs> we're paying $3.59. We're only asking for 10 cents over cost, you know? And I don't know whether they believed it or didn't believe it or what, but it got to a point where we finally just said, you know what? You pay whatever you want. Everybody else that will pay $3.69 will pay the $3.69. Mm-hmm. And, and that happened and went on for a long time. And, you know, that's just one little thing. Like we had no idea how to communicate or talk about any of that stuff. And then um, when we were thinking about moving into a new location, second location in Center City, we decided that the we were learning so much from our own customers, people who were huge fans of the Bruno Brothers and my grandparents and, you know, that they were so very forgiving to us for every mistake that we made that they would teach us and tell us about things that, you know, it's a blessing to have customers like that, that are willing to tell you what mistakes you're making and, oh, forgive you for the mistakes that you make, Mm -hmm. you know, along the way that we decided. And back then, you know, 94, I guess it was, we, you know, we never knew about focus groups, but we invited our, you know, some of our, you know, uh, most regular customers to come in after we close and we'd feed them a bunch of cheese and stuff and Mm -hmm. talk to them about, you know, what they think we should do next and what would make sense, you know, in retail, you know, just trying to get their opinions. And, uh, you know, that proved to be very, very helpful. And we just started doing a bunch of that, that holding focus groups with some of our customers. But then, you know, as as time goes on and you're growing, you know, you have two stores now, like how do you manage two stores? It's it's not as easy as you think. Like just go and do the same thing every day. Mm-hmm. So I run into a fella, you know, Ari Weinswig, meet Ari and Ari from Zingerman's. And he was just a whole nother, you know, different type of thought leader. And, you know, we start talking about, well, you got to have scorecards somehow to, 
you know, to identify like what you think or what the business should be doing. And you got to understand the sales, gross and labor and finances. And so because of him, we read this book called um, The Great Game of Business. Mm -hmm. And Ari then gave me a whole list of books that I should read. And I would mm -hmm. call him, you know, regularly be like, well, what about this? And what about that? And he'd say, well, you know, here, just read this and read that <laughs> and teach us about stuff. And so we created a financial thing that we call a CTP, mm -hmm. wherein everybody who works at the Bruno Brothers gets a CTP you know, week every week so they can see what their business was last week and, and especially within their departments and then what it should be for next week. And so that's just one way, but there's lots of things that we've had to adapt and to do. Like you, you have to teach people how to be as entrepreneurial as we are. Mm -hmm. You have to teach people how to buy, like what's the focus of buying, how to negotiate, you know, and what should pricing be. And so setting up... All of those things for our company took a lot of time. And, you know, I can't take credit for all of it, but we did take classes. My cousin, my brother, and I all took classes at Penn. The Penn University of Penn offered classes at the time for family businesses. And mm -hmm. you can go, you know, twice a week. Yeah. You sign up for it and take these courses with business folks. And they they would teach you all these things. And and, and you live and you learn. And, and eventually I just started to... um get on different boards the american cheese society yeah you know board and especially foods association and realized that networking in our industry was a really great way to educate yourself and to help share information with others and uh, we realized that others were going through the same difficulties we were going through and we could collectively um come up with ideas to help each other and share ideas between each other mm -hmm. to, 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 you know, to get better. Yeah. That's, that's great. Um, so would you say that was something that maybe surprised you about that, about the industry? Were you expecting that going into it, that it would no. be? No, I, I didn't, we didn't expect that the in industry would be so collaborative. We yeah. just thought like, you know, everybody is uh, competition and, mm -hmm. You know, fortunately, in our world of specialty food, and we consider ourselves like Uber specialty, you know, because specialty food is all over the place. Like, you know, our world of specialty food is so collaborative. Other retailers around the country that kind of do what we do, um, you know, we learned a great deal from that. And, and you know, that was a blessing and a, and a real treat for us to to find out. And so whenever and however we can give back, we're always trying to do that. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. Um, so we're almost out of time, but before you go, we'd like to, uh, we would like for you to participate in our final segment, Take Five. Five questions for our guest. First, let's pause and take a break. Certainly. I'm Louisa Kasdan, host of Let's Talk About Food. I recently hosted an exciting live podcast event in Boston and interviewed incredible women entrepreneurs who have received small business coaching from the Samuel Adams Brewing the American Dream program. When I was applying to law school and I got in, I said, you know what, I'm still young, let me pivot and go into the food industry and really follow my passion. I was kind of scared. It was a new thing to me. It was like, hey, I don't want me in the newspaper. I just want to be in my room in my house. <laughs> so that was when I'm like, okay, now that I'm in the local newspaper, I better not disappoint the people that, you know, that have this 
believe in me. And on the days that you're tired or you feel defeated, just keep going. And 10 people might tell you no, but that doesn't mean that's your end result. You just have to keep going. Hear their stories on Let's Talk About Food, available wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks again to Samuel Adams Brewing the American Dream for supporting this episode. HRN is home to transformative exchanges about food. We hope our diverse lineup of shows opens your eyes, educates, and empowers. Thanks to HRN, I ventured into the world of cooking with sumac, and I have not looked back since. I was listening to A Taste of the Past with my mom, and there was an episode about the history of American food. It inspired me to make it the subject of my final social studies project, and I ended up getting an A. Join us during our summer membership drive by donating and becoming a member. Members play an essential role in keeping nonprofit food radio on the air. Go to heritageradionetwork.org forward slash donate to become a member today. We thank you for your support. Hello again, and welcome back. I'm George Hajar of SFA, speaking with Emilio Mignucci of DiBruno Brothers. Okay, here are your five questions for our final segment, take five. One, what is your favorite thing about the specialty food industry? The community. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is one thing that the SFA has made easier for you as a specialty food business owner? Uh, collaboration. If you weren't running a business, what would you be doing? <laughs> Cooking. Mm-hmm. What's one piece of advice you'd give a new food business? Um, have a mission and a vision. How do you define specialty food? Yeah, that's a tough one. Specialty food is, uh, you know, to me, it's just really good traditional foods, but it could be new and innovative foods as well. I mean, specialty food is just food done well. A big thanks to Emilio Mignucci for joining us today. And you can find out more about this show on specialtyfood.com and heritageradionetwork.org. And remember to follow us wherever you get your podcasts. Come back often to get to know the people who are shaping the future of food. Special thanks to Heritage Radio Network, the world's pioneer food radio station. This is Spill and Dish, a Specialty Food Association podcast. Excellent. Spill and Dish is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.